Yeah? Your mind right? Okay, good. You got that look. Serious today. It's a serious man right here. Um, so Acts chapter 8. Over the previous weeks um, uh, of our time in Acts together, we have been looking at the life of uh, Philip. Okay? And so just to refresh your memory, Philip was a deacon in the early church, which basically means that he was a man of responsibility. He wasn't an apostle, meaning he didn't have uh, the gifting or the prophetic insight that the apostles had, but he was a man of significance and leadership, and his responsibility was to tend to the needs of the church. And early on in Acts chapter 8, what we discover is that, that Philip has a burden uh, to go into Samaria, which was a, a region that was um, not a popular region among the Jewish people. In other words, uh, the Samaritans were a people that were mixed in their faith and mixed in their ethnicity, and there was tension between the Jews and the Samaritan people. And Philip made, as a Jew, uh, made a conscientious decision uh, to go and to minister to the people of Samaria uh, and have a heart for them. And he went, and, and there was an effective work. Okay, He went, and he ministered, and God used him in the life of the Samaritan people. And we learned about that in our story. Uh, we talked about Simon the Sorcerer for a couple of weeks, and now we're back to focusing our attention on Philip and the work that God was doing in his life. All right, So today's message is a principles for a soul winner. And it's going to be very practical today. And so you need to be uh, ready to, to take good notes, especially those of you who are growing in your faith uh, and you have a desire to share your faith with other people. Uh, today is going to be a very important message for you and, uh, and hopefully it will be faith building. Let's start by looking at Acts chapter 8 verse 25, shall we? Can we do that? It says, and they, meaning the apostles, Philip, uh, other believers... And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem. And so the apostles who had left Jerusalem to go and minister are now going to go back to Jerusalem. That's home base. And it says, and, and preach the gospel in many, many villages of the Samaritans. Okay, so what do we see here? We see that the believers, both Jewish, okay, uh, 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 Sumerian, okay, were preaching the gospel in the villages. And people were getting saved, people were being added to the church, and they're doing the work. And so we find in verse 25, we find that the believers are sharing their faith from village to village, and they're doing the work. They're doing the work. These people, they made a lifestyle of preaching the gospel. Okay, they're not putting the responsibility just on Peter and John, just on the apostles, just on the deacons. These are people who immediately know right away in their faith that their responsibility is to share their faith. New believers and old believers alike are doing this work. You understand? The early believers knew that it was their responsibility to share Jesus Christ with other people, and they threw themselves headlong into that work. Without fear. Now if we go back in Acts chapter 1, we remember that the Great Commission was as follows, okay? Verse 8 of Acts chapter 1. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And we know that this just happened in Samaria. That's, that's what we learned about. 
that the Holy Ghost come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. They figured that out really quickly in Samaria, didn't they? That their responsibility, once they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, is to share that good news of freedom and salvation with others. They got that. Philip and the other believers were faithfully preaching without hesitation. And the question is, what drove them to do that? What drove them to do that? And today we're going to address principles of soul winning. And we need to ask ourselves, what are the characteristics and concepts that will aid our ministry, that will aid us as individuals in effective sharing of the gospel? You ready? Okay. Let's do it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we need you this morning. Um, God, we're grateful. I, I see a lot of visitors here today. And uh, Lord, um, whenever we have people who, who come here, Lord, some of them know you as their Savior, and some of them don't. Uh, for some of these people, just even the story of Jesus Christ is brand new to them. And uh, Lord, they might, they might have a lot of questions. Lord, I pray that your word today would answer the questions of their mind and of their heart, or that they would recognize that Jesus Christ is the only way, is the only peace, um, the only answer to our, um, Lord, innumerable number of life questions. Uh, Lord, questions about purpose, questions about, um, Lord, just about life and, and how to treat other people, questions about anxiety and fear and depression. Uh, Lord, all of the solutions are in the truth of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And we can find our hope and our source for living in your word. And so, God, I just pray that today as I, uh, Lord, as you've called me to do this work of preaching, as to, just to share what you've shown me, Lord, I pray that the power of Jesus Christ would be known to the people that are here today. And that we would all find our place and our identity in Him. And uh, Lord, that is a, that's a faith thing. That's a, that's a Holy Spirit convicting faith thing. And, and there's nothing I can do or say um, that will convince people alone. Lord, it is Your Word and it is the work of Your Spirit that convinces people that they need to follow You. And so Lord, I just ask that you would do that, uh, that you would work in the lives of these people today, that, that your word would go forth and that people would desire to obey it. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, now here's Philip, okay? Here's Philip doing the work. Verse 26, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south under the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. He arose and went. Okay. So, as far as Philip is concerned, his story, his narrative is changing. His focus is changing. And what we have is this angel of the Lord comes to Philip and speaks to him directly and says, Look, it's time to switch gears, bro. We're going to go a different direction. i got a new plan for you. Now, God is working in Philip's life here in Samaria. And so 
this request seems a little bit odd initially because God is actually using him. And the first question is, well, why would God want to move him in a different direction when he's so at work here? And I want to point out to you uh, just a few principles for our growing leaders as it concerns the calling of God and his vision for our lives as individuals. Because this is the type of scenario that we face often in ministry as we begin to grow when God switches gears on us. When he transitions us from one work to another work, how are we supposed to think about that? Is this God, is this God speaking to me or is this like, am I doing this in my flesh? How do I know that God is at work in my life. And I want to point out just a few things about what the angel of the Lord is requesting of, of Philip here and the way we ought to think about it. So here's, here's a key point for us. The first thing is this. Going, going may mean leaving something that's fruitful behind. You know, a lot of us are maybe praying about changing gears in ministry like, like this. Here's an example. Some of the women in this ministry have been ministering in the Grandview Bible Study for quite some time. And they are devoted to that work. And they don't have any desire to leave that work except for there's 22 women sometimes meeting in Amanda's living room. And it's very clear that it's time for a group of these women to go and to minister at the Art Institute. Okay? And, and, and so... There's a, there's a call on their life to switch gears, to transition into something else. And sometimes that means leaving something fruitful behind. There are people who are praying about going to Boston. And in order to go and be a part of a new work, it means, it's going to mean that they're going to have to leave something fruitful behind. Something that they know that God is in. That doesn't mean that God isn't in that other thing. Because you're fruitful where you're at does not mean that God isn't moving you somewhere else. In fact, many times it is the justification among your leaders that you are ready to go do another work. Sam talked about that in the last message. We should see a trail of fruit in your life, a trail of faithfulness in your life. And that for us as leaders is justification for us to say, you know what, that person is ready to go. And so for Philip, he's very fruitful. And, and, and note, though, that there are other people ministering in Samaria. He's no longer needed to do that work. And God knew that. God knew that. And so, we know that Philip is being called away from something fruitful. And before he ever left Samaria to go meet the, the Ethiopian eunuch, the work in Samaria had proven his obedience. And I think some of us are so focused on what's next in ministry that we're not doing the diligence we need. We're not being faithful to the work that we have presently. Some of us are often, you know, maybe you're a visionary by nature and you always see the next thing on the horizon. But you can think that way to the neglect of what God has right in front of you. And so we need to be balanced in the way that we think about our ministry. Okay, we need to be prepared for God to move us, but we need to make full proof of the ministry that God has us in right now. Does that make sense? And so first thing is, going may mean leaving something fruitful behind. That doesn't make that new work any less important. And that's proven out here. What else happens? Point two, going will require finding 
the lost. Okay, where does it say that he goes? He's going toward the south. In Scripture, what does the south symbolize for us? The world, right? Worldliness, sinfulness, right? And so he goes to the south, and that's a picture for us. It's an inspirational picture for us. That we ought to be going to where the lost people are. And many of us, this is a flaw in our ministry model because we get involved at church and we, and we grow to love MBT and we go, grow to love Kaya and we grow to love the fellowship and we grow to love our Bible study to the impediment of our outreach. Does this make sense? Some of you, hopefully this resonates with some of you, to the impediment, okay, to the detriment of our evangelical outreach, our desire to go to the lost people. Some of us, Really, it's just, it's, honestly, for some of you, it's a matter of piety. You have grown um, into a place where you're afraid of the lost world. I don't know how else to put it. Now, some of you are still working on getting out of the lost world, and I'm not talking about you. Some of you are, like, still learning what it means to obey Scripture and, and to know what holiness is. I know some of you are in that place, but others of you, You've grown so holy that you've forgotten that God wants to use you in dark places and you avoid the dark places. You avoid the south. I don't know if you guys read Alan Shelby, uh, the pastor, one of our, our, our pastors at our sister church, wrote a blog this week. And man, it was it's so good. If you haven't read it yet, it's so good. And it went up on the Living Faith site. But his point was a a reminder that God calling us to holiness and to be separated from the lost world in terms of our holiness is, is not a call for removing ourselves from the will of God to reach the lost. Holiness and separation from the world should drive us into the heart of Christ that we might recognize his great and abounding love for people who don't know him. It should drive us into the dark places, carrying the torch of his love. James chapter 5, verse 20 says, Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Our primary work in this world is to reach the lost. That is what we do. And you don't get to hide here And avoid that work. We have to go. Brian Clark, um, a dear friend of ours, pastor um, at Crossroads Baptist in London, says, um, before we can trust God to use us to lead people to Christ, we need Christ to lead us to the lost. Like, we want the benefit of doing ministry without getting our hands dirty. We want the benefit of doing God's work, but we don't want to go to the place. I don't know if you remember this or not, but Jesus Christ ate and broke bread with publicans and sinners. That's what he did. And we ought to be thinking the same way. We shouldn't be avoiding lost people. We should be going to them. Our call is to minister to the lost, and if we aren't knee-deep in sludge of the riverbanks, how can we possibly go fishing? 
Fishing's dirty work. I mean, I don't fish a whole lot. I mean, Eva's probably over here like, oh, you're going to talk about fishing? <laughs> but I've been fishing enough to know that especially this time of year, fishing is dirty. And, and the banks of the, of the rivers and, and the lakes and the ponds, those are muddy places. Those are muddy places. They're dirty places. It's grimy. But to be a fisher of men, you've got to be willing to get messy. And that means going to where the lost people are, which leads us to the third point. Going may mean working in a dry place. In a dry place. Where is it that Philip goes? He goes to the desert. He goes to the desert. Not much grows in the desert. Those aren't places that we think of as being fruitful places. But nonetheless, it's the place that he's called to. You know, it's hard to, to be called to places that are unfruitful. We've got missionary friends all over the world who minister in places where if in five years you lead one person to Christ, you're doing something. That's the mighty, powerful hand of God at work. The places are so dry, the soil is so dry and hard, and there's so many tears, and there's so, there's so many weeds, and so many rocks in the flower beds, that it seems as though it's impossible for anything to grow there. And yet they're called. And yet they're called. Has anybody ever played Skyrim before? Yeah. <laughs> I developed a Nord in Skyrim several years back. Proficient in the art of two-handed wield blading. Yeah. Yeah. This, is this, you getting this? Take notes. This is good right here. <laughs> this is, no, this is absolute nerd life right here. I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident that Braden Best talked me into buying Skyrim, actually. So, <sighs> um, that was when I was in high school ministry. I had time to play video games, I guess. That's what you did in high school ministry. You played video games. But in Skyrim, you're supposed to harvest plant life. Right? And in, in, so I don't know much about farming in real life. But in Skyrim, the places that, that are the most beneficial to harvesting plant life are the valleys. It's like... If you take your guy down into the valley areas, more stuff grows there. But if you go to the desert places, stuff don't grow there real good. So if you're trying to harvest plant life, don't go there. You go to the valleys. Can you catching this? This is, this is deep theological content. And you know what? People don't often want to go to those places. But if you play Skyrim, you know that only certain types of plant life grow in those dry places, only certain types. Those are the only places you can get that type of plant life. And you know what? There are places in this world, the soil is really dry, but if people don't go there, that fruit will never be harvested. It'll never be harvested. 
And so some of us, we get real afraid, but what if God's calling me to a place that's hard? And guess what? He's calling you to a place that's hard. It doesn't really change anything. You know, many of us minister in our workplaces and our schools, and they feel like desert places. But has God called you there? Well, then he wants you to be fruitful there. And you have to believe him for that. You know, Philip had, had fruit. And we see here he has fruit in a desert place. Philip's about to have fruit in a desert place. One man on a road in the middle of the desert. And God leads him there. So key point number one, listen to me. We don't minister because we are promised success. We're not pr promised ease. We're not promised fun. I mean, we're real convinced in, in Kaya that if we're not having fun, we're not doing ministry. You know what I mean? And that's too bad. That's the wrong way of thinking. I'm not saying fun, fun is bad. I'm just telling you that that's not what we're promised. We minister because God calls us to minister. That's why we minister. Because God, the creator of all things, called you to do something on behalf of his kingdom. And that's no, that's no joke. That's serious business. He calls us to love souls the way that he does. He wants us to have his heart. He calls us to love people, just like what Sam was talking about in the last message. He calls us to love people the way that he loves people. That's no easy thing. He calls us to the joy of sacrificial living. That you would give of your life and you would prefer other people over yourself. That's what he calls us to. He calls us to preach. He calls us to counsel. He calls us to disciple. And none of this is about our expectations. This is about passion and faith and pleasing our Father in heaven. That's what it's about. And sometimes that's a lot of fun and sometimes it's not. But in God's eyes, it doesn't change anything. We go where he calls us to go. You guys are a rough crowd today. Aren't they? What's that about? All right, so. You catching that? Okay, let's keep moving. Let's talk about reaching the lost. Let's talk about, let's talk about what soul winning looks like. Let's talk about the character of a soul winner and the way it works. And so first we find here a readied work. We find a readied work. So in our story, we, we find an Ethiopian. Behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. He was returning back to Ethiopia and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to, to this chariot. Okay, so Philip finds this Ethiopian man. He's a eunuch of great authority. In other words, he'd be, been a man from a very early age that had been set apart to work in the government of Ethiopia under the queen, Candace. 
He'd been separated. He'd been well-trained. He was an intellectual. He was, an, he was probably a man who knew of, uh, about war. He was a man of governmental issues. He may have been a treasurer. He was, either way, he was a man of great importance. Now, the thing about Ethiopia is that l- the years before, Judaism had spread into Ethiopia. And Ethiopia was a place that was very familiar with Old Testament worship and practice. Okay? And so here you have this man of authority from Ethiopia who's traveled to Jerusalem to worship because he knows that's where you worship the the Jewish God. And so he's traveled there to worship. And in his time there, you know, Jerusalem right here in this story, in, in this narrative, Jerusalem is a hotbed for Christian persecution. There's a lot going on. Religion is in flux in Jerusalem. And he certainly would have witnessed that. And so upon leaving Jerusalem and leaving his time of worship to head back to Ethiopia, this man has a lot of questions. And he's studying the scriptures. And so here's my point to you. God had been preparing his heart for this very moment. And Philip never even had to know about it. And this is what I mean by that. We are very limited, single-faceted individuals. And there are things that are going on in the lives of people all around us all the time that we don't see, that we don't understand, that are hard for us to even empathize with. Okay? But it's the responsibility of a minister to look for people who are readied to hear the power of the message of Jesus Christ. That's who we're looking for. We're looking for people whose hearts and minds are primed to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And some people are ready, and some people aren't. And the people who aren't, we pray for them. And the people who are, we open our mouths to them. That's what we do. I mean, this is the way I function. As a school teacher, at least I'm at West High School, I'm constantly testing the water to find out if a person's heart, if a student's heart is ready to hear me talk about Jesus. And sometimes they are. Cool. I'll just leave you with this, and I'll pray for you, and I'll go my way this way, and I'll wait. And some people's hearts are ready. And that's when when you go full force. Some people are ready. Some people aren't. And we need to be ready to respond to them the right way. But I want you to know this, that God is about readying people's hearts. He does that. You don't even have to see it. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. But his long-suffering to us were, that means mankind. He's long-suffering to us. Not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. In other words, God loves people more than you even have the capacity to do so. And in his sovereign and precious mind, he is constantly pursuing the hearts and the lives of people in his creation. He is going after them. He is pursuing them. He's orchestrating the circumstances of their lives. So they might be ready to receive the gospel. 
He's putting them in really weird, lame art teachers' classrooms. He's putting them in your classrooms. He's putting them in your workplaces. He's, he's, he's busy at work allowing them to suffer enough that their heart might be broken and ready to hear from him. God is about doing the work, and you know what? He loves people so much that he wants no one to perish in their sin. No one. And he is readying the hearts and the lives of people all around us. And you know what? Some of us are just twiddling our thumbs through life. And the issue is that we're not ready. It's not that God's not doing the work. It's that we're not willing to meet him halfway. Key point. Soul winners are looking for those who God has readied. Places and people where God has gone before them. You know, a very good prayer to learn is God... Please go before me. Please ready the field. Before I go on this missions trip, before I go into a new semester of school, before I take this new job, before I meet these new people at this event tonight, at this FOI event or wherever I might be, God, will you please ready a way that the soil would be prepared, the soil of people's lives would be ready and prepared to, to have a harvest? God, would you do that? But if you're going to pray that prayer, then you need to be ready to respond in kind. Look at the heart of Philip, verse 30. And Philip ran thither to him. What did he do? He ran. I mean, some of y'all haven't run since high school gym class. You know who you are. But the problem is, the problem with that is that, that when we look at Philip's life and we look at our own, we recognize that, that he's living in the will of God because he's a runner. And many of us don't run. We don't have that kind of enthusiasm as it concerns God and his purposes. Hebrews 12.1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses because of the testimony of the saints that have gone before us, we should look at our own lives and assess them in such a way. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, the unholiness in our lives. Let's set those things aside and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We are called to run a race. So what is running? Running is the action of the confident and faithful. Running is the action of confident believers, faithful believers. Running is what the zealous do. That's what zealous people do. That's what people who are passionate about the things of God do. They run. They run. You know, when I go running, I go running, by the way. I mean, I'm not incredibly fit. But I go running because I desire to be fit, okay? When I go running, my son Shepard, he's seven. He wants to run with me. And so he always asks to go running. Now, 
He's slower than me for now. So I don't, I don't always let him come because I'm actually trying to get exercise. And so I don't always let him come like, no, buddy. And sometimes I'll come back to the house after I've run, and I'll go run with him, which I'm not ready to do because I'm sweating and dying. I'm like, okay, bud, let's go, and we'll go do a run at his pace. But last week, he and I went for a run, and I took him with me. And he, but, but the thing is, he's always asking me to run, always. He wants to run. He desires to do it. He's seven, and he's full of energy. But some of us, we're not running. Some of us aren't running. And the question is why? Spiritually, you're not ready to pursue. You don't have that kind of eagerness. Some of us aren't running. And the question is why? The first answer to that is you're not driven to run. You don't have the desire that Shepard has. I mean, I can't understand all of the reasons why Shepard wants to go running with me. I would hope and I'd like to believe that he he just wants to be with Dad. He just wants to do what dad does, and that motivates him. That drives him. See, we lack motivation because we're content with our salvation. We're not motivated to run, and we don't have the eagerness to pursue souls because we're content in our own salvation to the point where we're not actually concerned about the souls that God's concerned with. I pray that God would break our, our, wicked, our wicked and hard hearts. See, we ought to be motivated to run alongside people who are in need because that's what Jesus did for us. In Mark chapter 6, there's this story, you're familiar with it, where the disciples get caught out onto the Sea of Galilee and there's a storm. Remember that? And they're freaking out. Okay, and Jesus comes out to them on the sea, right? And they're like, oh, crap, it's a ghost, right? You remember that? Uh, And then they realize it's Jesus, and then Peter steps out of the boat. You know that story. Okay, now, some of you don't know this. Where was Jesus at during the storm? Where was he at? He was praying on the mount. Wrong story. Now, Listen, in order for Jesus to get to his disciples who were in need in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, he had to transcend a mountain and cross what I believe, if I remember correctly, about 16 miles across the Sea of Galilee to get to the midst of the sea. But he did it. And some of us can't go across the cubicle. I mean, do you believe in the human soul or not? Jesus Christ gave everything for you. And somehow, we're so content in our salvation that we can't be motivated enough to preach the gospel to the people that God puts in our lives. Shame on us. Some of us don't run because we're not in running shape. We're not in running shape. 
We're not effective in our witness because we aren't doing the training to be effective in our witness. And so some of us, our excuse is, well, I don't know enough about the Bible. Okay, okay, well, let's start with this. What did God do in your life? Talk about that till you can't stop. ABC, Jesus loves me. That's what I know. That's what I got. Okay, preach that till you're blue in the face. Speak that truth. Speak about the freedom in your life because of what Christ did for you. Speak about that till you can't anymore. And along the way, sign up for discipleship. Along the way, join a Bible study. Along the way, do D2. Along the way, do LFBI. And prepare yourself so that you can run marathons. This weekend, uh, a bunch of the people from church uh, did a half marathon, correct? Uh, Braden was a part of that. How much training, how long did the training take you to be ready for that? Eight months of running, right? Did you win? Uh, Jeff yeah, Jeff beat you. Okay, but Jeff beat you by how many minutes? Ten freaking minutes. That's a rough second place, bro. But good for you. Now, why, why is it that Jeff, Jeff's been training for two years? He's been running almost every day for two years. This is what he loves to do. He loves to run. And so he's good at it. He's good at it. And people, if Braden runs for another year and six months, he is going to be better at it than he is right now. And that's how spiritual growth works. You can't expect to be in great shape when, you, when you've never run before. So you get out there and you start by skipping. I don't know. I don't know what you do to start. <laughs> Speed walking. Right? And then you take a jog, and then you start to run, and then you start to sprint. And in time, you grow in your ability. But, that, but listen to me. The fact that you're not in great running shape does not give you an excuse not to run. Philip ran to the Ethiopian eunuch. Do you have that kind of eagerness? Some of us have had past failures. Maybe we've lost a few races along the way in ministry. Maybe some of us have stumbled. I'm thinking about like, I'm thinking about like high school running and, and, and track. And the, the things that I've seen people do, when, you're, when you run a lot in track, you see people fall in ways, innumerable numbers of ways. <laughs> I had a friend who ran, um, who ran uh, cross country in college. And there's a famous photo of him in a magazine. Clear, like, like, it's just hilarious. Clearing a hurdle. face first into a puddle. I mean, his whole body is contorted back like this. Feet, his feet are flailing like this. He got over the hurdle and he went face first into like a giant puddle. And it was in a, ma- it was in a running magazine. <laughs> it got published that way. I mean, you s- if you run enough, you're going to see people fall. But here's the deal. Falling can't keep you from continuing to run. You have to get up. And just because you've had failed discipleship relationships or maybe you've shared the gospel and people haven't listened does not keep you from from the, the obligation of getting up and running some more. This is what we're called to. You know, the last time Shepard went running with me, he got a stitch in his side. 
He ate an apple before we left the house. He shouldn't have. And so when he's running, we got up the hill, and he's like, ooh. And so we walked about one block, and then guess what? He just started running again. And we went another, he ran with me three miles. But the boy didn't want to stop running. Now listen to me. Are you eager in the mission like that? Key point, soul winners are not reluctant to obey. They are eager. Soul winners are not reluctant. They are not timid. They are not afraid. They know what they have in Jesus Christ. And they are eager to talk about it. We ought to worship God in such a way that we train ourselves to obey him with eagerness and zeal, running, running to where he's called us to go, running. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. What we do, we don't do in vain. What we do, we, we, we train ourselves to be light and agile and focused, and we go, and we go hard. And sometimes we're encumbered. And so we shed those things that burden us, that we might pursue an incorruptible crown. See, we're not looking for earthly mastery. We're not looking that we might have any accolades or that people might know our name or that we might seek some sort of religious or spiritual uh, uh, acknowledgement in this life. We don't care about that. We care about souls. And it's funny. A soul is a funny thing. A soul is invisible. I mean, they might have a form, but souls are invisible. Salvation is invisible. And so we pursue things that in the world seem meager, confusing, simple, simple-minded. That's what we pursue. That's what we give our lives to. That's what we throw ourselves into. Next, let's look at how he ministered. He was relational in his approach. And heard him, Philip, heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? Great question. Great question. Do you understand? The eunuch's sitting there reading from Isaiah, and he's a little confused about the passage, and so what he does is he invites a discovery Bible method. He invites a situation. Hey, let's study the word together. Do you understand what you're reading? Great question. Many of us are ministering to lost people in our workplaces and at school this very way right now. Hey, do you understand the Bible? If you don't, let's read it together. Let's study it together. Let's figure out what it means together. And the man says, how can I except some man should guide me? Beautiful response. Soft heart. Ready work. And he desired that he would come up and sit with him. 
Okay, see that? Do you see that invitation? Hey, come, come up into the chariot and sit with me so you can explain this to me. Come dwell with me. And we're looking for that kind of investment in our ministry as well. We're looking for people, both lost and saved, who are willing to let us befriend them and love them. That we might build relationship with them. That our faith might be proven in our love towards them. You know, soul winning is not some sort of some sort of like retail transaction. It's, soul winning requires investment. It means, it means that you're supposed to build, build relationships with the lost, that you might prove to them the beauty of knowing Jesus Christ. That your intimacy with them would prove the intimacy that you have with Jesus. That's what we ought to do. And so Philip sat with him. He befriended him. They dwelled together. This was two people willing to be vulnerable in the direction of faith. And that's the kind of relationships that we should be looking for. So, key point. Soul winners, they meet the lost where they're at. They meet the lost where they're at, and they do it with love. They meet the lost where they're at. He went to the chariot. He sat with him in the chariot. The Ethiopian eunuch was sitting. I'll sit too. Let's be together. And that's, that's what people who care about souls are willing to do. They're willing to build relationships with people who aren't like them, who don't look like them, who don't act like them, that are completely from, from, from completely different cultural backgrounds. None of that means anything. There are no boundaries. There are no borders that get in the way of the soul winner. They want relationships with people because they know that God loves people. Notice also that he's in a position of sitting, which is a position of rest, isn't it? He's not flustered. His posture is one of peace. Philip put his trust in the work of Christ. He knew it wasn't his responsibility to fix this man or even to answer all of his questions. He trusted in the work of God, and so he had the capacity to sit and rest. And some of us are so anxious about the idea of, of preaching the gospel or sharing our faith. We get so anxious about it that we don't posture ourselves in a way it's restful at all. We don't have peace. We're like, nervous all the time, anxious, fearful people. I mean, if, if, again, if we're getting anything from the book of Acts, is that the person that pursues God fears nothing. The person that pursues God fears nothing. They're not anxious. They don't care about tomorrow. They don't care about later this afternoon. They are present. They are with God. They know him. They're full of faith. And they're ready to speak. And you know what? When you know that God goes before you, there's not a whole lot to get anxious about. You can rest. You can be at peace. You can have joy. You don't have to be articulate. You don't have to be perfect. Don't, listen, here's the thing. Don't presume that God needs you. 
Don't presume that God needs your mouth and your gifting. and, and He doesn't need you to say anything in a particular way. He needs you to hold tight the word of God. He needs you to believe, and he needs you to open your mouth. Let him take care of the rest. So soul winners have a spirit of peace because they trust God. That's the next key point. Soul winners have a spirit of peace because they believe God. They don't believe in themselves. They don't believe in their actions. They're not flustered when things go wrong. When they fall down, they have the capacity to get back up because they believe God. And so they have peace. They have a spirit of peace about them. I don't know if you know that. Like, think about the people in church that you know that are really proficient at evangelism. That God's used them and allowed them to be fruitful in that way. Are those people that seem to be flustered when they speak about Christ? No, they're familiar with him. You know how easy it is to talk about Eva? I could talk about Eva all day long. I know her. I know her well. I could speak about her. I love her. I'm passionate about Eva. And so I can talk about her. It's fluid. It's easy to talk about my wife. Do you know Christ in such a way that where you engage another person, it's easy for you to talk about him? Or are you a freaking anxious mess? Now listen to me. Here's our, our last and final point. We need to be a readied student. A readied student of God's word. So yeah, you know, the Ethiopian eunuch asks the question, what is this saying in Isaiah? I don't get it. I don't get it. Can you explain this to me? And guess what? He can. He can. Verse 32. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was, so this is what Isaiah is saying. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. This is a prophetic passage, okay? And like a lamb, dumb before his shears, so opened he not his mouth. Who are we talking about here? Jesus Christ. This is a prophecy of Jesus. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall decree, the, who shall decree his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. So this man has a question about the Bible, something he doesn't understand. He doesn't know that the Messiah has come. He's completely unaware. And he needs someone to explain to him this prophetic passage about the Messiah. And Philip's his man. Philip steps right into that role. So here's the key point. Soul winners are prepared for spiritual conversations. They're prepared for them. How ready are you for the work of sharing the gospel? We're not going to raise hands, but because that would be embarrassing, wouldn't it? But how many of you could use the Bible to explain to someone that they were born into sin? How many of you could do that? How many of you can share with someone what it means to repent? How many of you can share with someone else what it means to be saved? I mean, 
ground floor, ground level information about who Jesus Christ is. How many of you could do that immediately from the Bible right now? So the question is, are you taking your training seriously? Are you a readied student? We ought to be students of the word so that we can be better soul winners. You know, Sam hit on this, but look, we don't have LFBI for any other reason than that we would be better soul winners. I mean, maybe you got that twisted along the way. Maybe you got confused about what we were doing. But we don't have a Bible institute in our church for any other reason that you, that you might be better at winning souls than discipling them. That's it. And so if that's not good enough for you, I'm, I'm sorry. So here, in closing, here's the deal. Do you know, do you know that it's time for you to go deeper in your faith? It's time for you to own the work of the ministry. I'm talking about every single person in this room who knows that they're saved. They know that they're a believer in Jesus Christ. Every single person in this room. If you're saved, you're called. If you're saved, you've been elected to the work of the ministry that you might be a soul winner. So maybe you're just finding it out and you're like pissed about that. Oh no. But listen to me. It starts real simple. It starts real simple. Why don't you start talking about how Jesus saved your soul? Why don't you start by signing up for D1? It's going to change your life. I don't ask you to do that lightly. I'm not even daring you to do it. Because if I dared you to do it, you'd regret it later on. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ died for you and he deserves it. He deserves for you to learn his word. He deserves that. And so it's time for you. It's time for you. It's time to step forward. It's time to sign up for classes in LFBI. It's time to move forward. What excuse do you have for not going south? What excuse do you have for not going to the desert place or coming alongside the chariot? What excuse do you have? You have none. Verse 36, and as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And he's like, hold on, let me explain something else to you. You can get baptized if you believe. And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ, let's not take these words for granted, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded that the chariot would stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities, big surprise, till he came to Caesarea. Now in our story, let's just pause here and let's talk about history real quick as we close. Ethiopia is one of the only countries in all of Africa that is predominantly Christian. Now they've got their problems in terms of doctrine and orthodoxy, but listen to me. Ethiopia 
is presumed to be predominantly Christian because of this story right here. Because one man went to a desert place and came along the side of a chariot and preached one gospel message. What excuse do we have? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you gave us this story 